Open your Bibles, if you will, first of all, to John chapter 12. Those of you watching by live stream, thank you for joining us today. And we certainly appreciate your watching and supporting the ministry. And many of you that are watching uh, around the world, you are supporters to our ministry in our various offices and other nations. And uh, we are so grateful to you. As you know, today, Sunday before Easter Sunday, is traditionally referred to as Palm Sunday, commemorating Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. In John chapter 12, it says, and verse 12, And on the next day, much people were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus answered them and said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he said, or this he said, signifying what death he should die. So we're honoring his commitment to give his life for us, as it's been already talked about through Justin and through the songs that we've sung. A very special day. Next Sunday, we commemorate, or we celebrate, rather, Easter Sunday. And you all know what that is significant of. But right here in this story, in just a few days, he will do what he was sent to do, what he came, for do, uh, came to do, what the Father sent him into the earth to do. Up until now, he has gone from city to city, the Bible says. And as Matthew records, Matthew 9, 35, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then as Peter later described in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. But now he's got the cross on his mind. He's got Calvary on his mind. He knows that there's no other way to totally liberate mankind than to give his own life. He will completely submit to the Father's will by praying this prayer in Matthew 26. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Thy will be done. Aren't you glad that Jesus submitted totally to the Father's will? You know, he did say, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he realized there was no other way. That death, the shedding of his blood, was the only way possible to liberate mankind. Later, John wrote in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Not just undo them, but destroy them, praise God. Hallelujah. The message translation says, to abolish the devil's ways. Abolish means to do away with. The author of the book of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 2.14, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. This will happen in just a few days after Palm Sunday. That's what we're celebrating today. That commitment to go to the cross, to shed his blood, 
and to abolish the devil's ways. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. I like to refer to, to this event as Satan's greatest shock. <laughs> amen. The Bible says from the writings of the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8, which none of the princes of the world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If Satan had had any idea, but see, it was hidden in a mystery. Now, of course, he was in the Garden of Eden, Satan, and he did hear God say that a seed is coming. And he's going to bruise your head. <laughs> Amen. If God had been texting, he said, he's going to bust your head. <laughs> He's going to break your power, take it away from you. Amen. And Satan heard that, but he didn't know who this seed was. And he had to wait all these many years to find out who the seed was. You know, I'm sure that he thought it might have been Abraham. You know, Abraham had miraculous things happen in his life. I mean, he had a, his wife had a son at an old, old age. Maybe he's the seed but not the seed that, Jesus, that God was referring to. It could have been Elijah. Oh, this great prophet. He had all kinds of miracles. Don't you know that Satan's thinking, is this the seed that's going to bust my head? Maybe it was Samson. Oh, Samson. He took the jawbone of a donkey and slew a thousand men. Don't you know Satan's thinking, he can bust my head. <laughs> but it wasn't Samson. It wasn't Elijah. It wasn't Abraham. Maybe it's John the Baptist. This wild man eating locusts and wild honey and screaming everywhere he went. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it wasn't John. But the Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And the day that Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, was the day Satan found out who the seed was. Because a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Satan knows who the seed is and he is on guard right now watching every move he makes. Amen. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And notice the first thing Satan tried to tempt him with with was the first thing he got Adam with food. If you be, if you really are the son of God, the seed that's come to bust my head, then why don't you turn this into bread and eat? Turn these stones into bread and eat. Unlike the first Adam, the second Adam said, Man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Satan went on trying to tempt him again. But each time Jesus spoke the word of God and resisted him. And finally, the Bible says after the third time, it says, and Satan left him for a season. A season. And now for the next three years. Jesus goes about healing all that were oppressed to the devil. Don't you know, Satan's thinking, I, I wish the time would come when I can get rid of him. He is tearing up everything I've done. 
That's what he came to do, to destroy the works of Satan. However, no man had been born again during those three years because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't shed his blood yet. He hadn't paid the price yet. And that was the only way that man could be redeemed, bought back. Amen. And the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, while Jesus was in Satan's own domain after the death of the cross, he spent three horrible days in the bowels of this earth. And there it says in Colossians 2, 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. Satan didn't expect that. He didn't know that was going to happen. He actually thought when Jesus died on the cross and cried out, it is finished. He actually thought Jesus has failed in his mission. My head has not been busted. My power has not been destroyed. My works have not been destroyed. I'm still here and he's dead. And he took him into the bowels of this earth. And there Jesus paid the supreme price for man's transgression. Three horrible days of torment. But on that third day, God looked down from heaven and said, let my son go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Bible says he was justified in spirit. And the moment he was justified in spirit, he began to flex his spiritual muscles and all hell stood at attention. He spoiled principalities and powers. What could that have looked like? Well, David saw it. All those Old Testament characters, they were in the upper regions of hell. In Abraham's bosom, looking down, watching this event. And boy, when David saw it, and he saw Jesus destroying all of those principalities and powers, and then walk over to Satan himself, and I see him grabbing him by the throat, and taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from him. Amen. And then the Bible says he was raised from the, uh, he, 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 he went up into heaven and took captivity captive. All those Old Testament saints who were in Abraham's bosom, he took them out, took them to heaven. And old David right up at the front saying, who is the king of glory? I'll tell you who the king of glory is. He's the Lord God mighty in battle. That's the king of glory. Open ye gates. Hallelujah. Let the king come in. Hallelujah. And even God and all the angelic hosts stood at attention as Jesus entered into the portals of heaven. And there God said, again, you are my son. And again, I am your father. And then he gave him all power in heaven and earth and under the earth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He accomplished his mission. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is done. Yes, sir. We're free. Yes. I said we're free. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, Who hath delivered us. 
from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. The message translation says the son got us out of the pit that we were in. Hallelujah. The passion translation says he rescued us completely from Satan's tyrantal rule. In other words, we don't have any business being under oppression any longer. Amen. You don't have, you don't have to be under oppression. That's all been destroyed. Hallelujah. When Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen. Bible says whom the son makes free is free indeed. Anybody in here receive Christ? Anybody in here receive the son? Then say this with me. Thank God. I have the son of God in my life. He's my Lord. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. I am free. And give him your best shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Now I want to take you to one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. The 10th chapter of John. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Hallelujah. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Obviously, he's talking about eternal life. Thank God when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're no longer headed for a devil's hell. As Justin mentioned earlier. Hell was not created for men. It was created for Satan and his angels. But the devil's taking the men there because they won't receive Christ. But we've received Christ. And that means hell is no longer our eternal destiny. He says he's come that we might have life. Eternal life. But not just eternal life after this life. The Amplified Bible goes on to say, I've come that they might have And enjoy life. You're supposed to be enjoying life. Most Christians aren't. Most Christians are the saddest people on the planet. There's a lot of Christians I wouldn't want to be around. Sinners have more joy than some Christians. (laughs) But the Bible says he came... Not only that we have eternal life, but that we might enjoy life. I'm enjoying life. Don't mess with me. I'm enjoying life. Amen. You see, when you're not religious, you can enjoy life. Religion is not fun. He never came to establish a religion. He came to establish a relationship. God and Sons Incorporated. Hallelujah. Amen. He came that we might not only have eternal life, but that we might enjoy life. Put a smile on your face and make somebody believe you're really enjoying life. If you have to say this to them, say, by faith, I'm enjoying life. I I am. I am truly enjoying life. I'm probably the happiest person you ever met. I enjoy life. Hallelujah. I enjoy what I do. 
Who would ever, as we say in Texas, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> who would ever thought? Little old country boy born in the woods of rural Mississippi on a gravel road. Well, dirt first. It, we, we got uptown when we got gravel. <laughs> born on a farm my grandfather bought in 1927. And it looked about the same as it did in 27 when I was born in 46. Uh, my dad said when he was going to school, he was referred to as white trash. White trash. And of course, he used to tell all the sad stories. Walked 12 miles with a surf bucket, you know, and barefooted. And, but he wasn't exaggerating. He was... They were poor. They were poor, dirt poor, as they say. I was born on that farm in 1946. My grandfather did not, well, they didn't have indoor plumbing. Now, I lived there from 1946 until 1952 on that farm. Then dad moved us to Shreveport, Louisiana. But my grandparents stayed there until they died. And I used to spend my summers there. My grandfather finally built what they called a shotgun house. You could stand at the front door and look all the way through to the back door. And uh, it was on stilts. And it's, it's right next door to the old original house. And it was the first time he built that in 1957. The first time we had indoor plumbing, 1957. We had outhouses. I burned one of them down. <laughs> you know what you do in an outhouse, you know? I'm sitting in there in the outhouse and a snake crawled in. Scared me silly. I jumped up off that thing and took off running. And went in the house and got some matches and come back and set, set the house on fire, the outhouse on fire. My grandpa said, son, you set the outhouse on fire. I said, yeah, but I killed that snake, grandpa. <laughs> Who would have ever thought this little country boy, born in rural Mississippi, you know, we, we were only like three or four white families that lived on that road. All the other folks were black families. I grew up playing with black children. They were my friends. I had a black nanny, she called, she called herself. She was like another mother to me. Her name was Daisy May. I'll never forget Miss Daisy May. And she lived down the road a little bit up on a hill because Mississippi, Vicksburg, Mississippi is real hilly. And she lived up on the hill. And we'd go up there and play with her boys. And their boys come down and play with us. And, and uh, we were just doing something all the time. And I remember when years later, after I'd even gone into the ministry, my mom and dad had moved back to Mississippi to take care of my grandmother. And I came through there getting ready to go to uh, 
Meridian, Mississippi to preach. And I, asked, I invited my mom and dad to go with me. It's the first time they was going to ever hear me preach. I'd already been in the ministry maybe four or five years, and they'd never heard me preach. So I said, why don't you guys go to Meridian with me? They said, okay, we'll go. And uh, we still had a few hours left in that day, and we were going to leave the next morning. I said, is Miss Daisy May still living? They said, oh, yeah, she's still up there in that same house where she was when you were a kid. I said, I'm going to go see her, see if she remembers me. And I drove up there, and she had a high porch. And she sat out on that porch exactly the way I remembered what she did the last time I saw her. Shelling beans in her apron. Had them beans and shelling them beans. Now she's all gray-headed, and she's got them little glasses. And when I pulled up, she looked over those glasses. And when, she, when I got out of the car, she saw who it was. Threw that apron straight up. Beans went everywhere. And she said, there's my boy. There's my boy. She was a sweetheart. They were poor. Everybody on that road was poor. Who would have thought that a little boy growing up in that kind of atmosphere would be living the kind of life I live today? I can tell you, I'm experiencing John 10.10. I not only have eternal life, but I'm enjoying life down here. Hallelujah. In fact, the Amplified Bible goes on to say, not only enjoy life, but have it in abundance to the full and until it overflows. I'm living life to the full. Hallelujah. Go ahead and touch me, Stuart. It'll be all right. Living life to the full. Glory to God. Now, let me, let me talk to you just a little bit about living life in the full. The, the Passion Translation says that uh, fullness of life is another way of saying it. Living life in its fullness includes living under the blessing of God. Living under the blessing of God. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 from the message translation, God can pour out the blessings in astonishing ways. I've experienced that during my Christian life. And I've been walking with the Lord now. This is my 52nd year. And I've experienced in those 52 years, God pouring out his blessings on my life, on our ministry, on our family, in astonishing ways. The Passion Translation goes on to say, so that you have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in everything you do. That sounds like a prophetic word I've heard recently. Abundant overflow. Anybody heard that so far this year? Abundant overflow. That's the kind of life God wants us to have. That's the kind of life Jesus came to provide for you. A life of abundant overflow. Amen. I'd call that fullness of life, wouldn't you? Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. The Passion Translation says, I will always have more than enough. That's God's best for our lives. 
That's the kind of life Jesus came to provide us with. A life where there's always more than enough. Wouldn't you say that having more than enough would certainly qualify you as one who's living in fullness of life? Charles Spurgeon once said, I have all things and abound, not because I have wit and skill, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Sadly, the Lord is my shepherd, that phrase, is a sentiment carried on tombstones after people die more than it is a revelation while they're alive. You can walk through the graveyards and see tombstones. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And most of them that are under that tombstone didn't have the revelation of that while they were alive. The Lord is our shepherd. That means that we have the potential to live without constantly being in want or lack. Verse 5 from the Passion Translation says, You give until my cup overflows. God's always giving. He's a giver. God so loved that he gave. He can't help himself. He spent enough time with him and he's wanting to give. He's wanting to pour out on your life. You know, I, 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 I've endeavored to pattern myself after him. <laughs> I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. I'm a giver. I live to give. And the more I hang around God, the, 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 the bigger I dream of how to give bigger in bigger ways and better ways. Amen. You know, my great granddaughter, she's just turned 10 months old. I'll tell you, that little girl has captured my heart. Now, my children did when they were born. My grandchildren did when they were born. But the reason you're called great-grandchildren, they're greater than the grandchildren and the children. (laughs) Mark James, they liking that revelation at all. (laughs) The great-grandchild. I bought her a Louis Vuitton purse when she was two weeks old. I wish we could put that picture up there on the... Can you put that picture on the screen? I love it. I want it in an 8 by 10 or 20 by 30 or what. Now she's walking, carrying around that Louis Vuitton purse. And I can see on her face, Papa, I want to go shopping. (laughs) I'm a giver. I love giving. I I, I love blessing people. Amen. Why? Because that's the way God is. Fullness of life is not having to go to bed every night filled with worry and fear and not knowing how you're going to exist tomorrow. Now, there were days like that in my life in the early days until I began to discover these things. Hallelujah. But praise God, there hadn't been days like that in a long, long, long time. Amen. Jesus came that you might have fullness of life. Can you say amen to that? Now, the message translation for John 10.10 says, I came so that they may have real and eternal life more and better than they've ever dreamed of. Better life 
than you've ever dreamed of. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm supposed to be living life better than I've ever dreamed of. Amen. Now, the Bible says from the writings of the Apostle Paul in Acts, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I'm reading from the Amplified, it says, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has prearranged a good life for you and I to live. Amen. And it doesn't include barely getting by. It's living life in its fullness. In its fullness. Ephesians 2.10 says, even from the Passion Translation, even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny. My destiny is in the hands of God. Amen. And Failure and defeat is not in his plans for us. Living in lack and want is not our destiny. Barely getting by is not what God had in mind when he sent Jesus to the cross. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, the message translation says, I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, plans to give you the future you've hoped for. Hallelujah. What kind of future are you hoping for? Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't. Don't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. up. Tell your other neighbor, stay in faith. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, all things are possible to him that believeth. Are there any believers in here today? Then all things are possible. Amen. Tell the devil it ain't over yet. Don't look at me when you say that. I said, tell the devil. When he... <laughs> it's not over yet. The message translation says from Matthew 9, 23, anything can happen to those who believe. How do you do it? Anything can happen. And if you're a believer, then praise God. Don't give up. It's not over yet. Amen. Determine that you will fight for the good life that God has promised and prearranged for you. Amen. Don't, don't give up so quickly. Amen. You know, uh, I remember years ago, I had the privilege of meeting, and you, some of you have heard this story before, and if you have, I want you to hear it again, because I'm going to tell it, it's my sermon. <laughs> I had the privilege of meeting a former Mr. Universe. Dennis Tenorino. And boy, he was Mr. Universe. I mean, he's like this. It wasn't fair at all. I have pictures of me and him standing together. It's shameful. Nobody should look like him. And nobody should look like me standing next to him. (laughs) He took me to Santa Monica, California one time to World Gym to work out. When I walked in there, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. Lou Ferrigno was there. And I'm walking in with Dennis Tenorino. Everybody in there had muscles. They had calves. I think God forgot to give me calves. 
I think, I think God created me on the rest day. He, he said on the seventh day, rest. And, and while he was making me, the seventh day came and he forgot to take it up on the next day and give me some calves. Look how little these legs are. I was always strong. I was always strong as a kid. And I, and I, I loved running the mile when I was in high school. I, I would run the mile. I played baseball and I pole vaulted. I, I loved sports. I, I did everything they'd let me do. I wanted to play football and they said I was too little. They even told me I was too little to play baseball. I was too little for everything. But I showed them wrong. I showed them, you know. And I'd have to excel in sports to prove I was big as everybody else. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at practice one day. We're getting ready for the Woodlawn High School Invitational Track Meet. And by the way, that's the same high school that some famous athletes came out of. Terry Bradshaw, Joe Ferguson, uh, uh, number zero for the Boston Celtics, Robert Parrish. They came out of our high school. I'm older than all of them. I, I set the course. And so uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm out on the track. We're, we're running the mile. And I got a Charlie horse in my leg and I, I limped off the track. And my coach come up, Coach A.L. Williams. And Coach Williams said, what's the matter, Savelle? I said, Coach, I think I pulled a muscle. He said, turn around. He said, get on back on the track. You ain't got a muscle. Well, that, that really lifts you up, you know, <laughs> gives you that warm feeling all over. He told, he told the whole track team one day, Savelle is the only man I know that can tread water in a water hose. <laughs> so that's little. All the girls were bigger than me. Donna Han, I'll never forget Donna Han. When we were in the sixth grade, that girl was nearly six foot tall. She was taller than the teacher. And, and she was a brain. She was a brain. She never had to study. She just straight A's her whole school career. And I sat next to her. And she liked me. And she push that little notebook over there and give me the answers, you know. <laughs> but this was always embarrassing. When, when I'd show up and she'd see me, she'd run, lay little Jerry and pick me up. And my feet are just dangling. I said, Donna, put me down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you, girl. I'm going to stand on a chair and I'm going to work your kneecaps over. But today I'm living fullness of life. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I don't mind being little at all. I can still buy some clothes in the boys section. <laughs> for half the price. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. 
All things are possible. <laughs> now, if, if you are not living life in its fullness, and you're not living life better than you've ever dreamed, and Satan has stolen the life or the dream that you've, or the life that you've dreamed of, then here's what you do. You need to spend more time in fellowship with God and his word. You, you simply cannot spend quality time with God and his word and walk away depressed. You can't walk away discouraged. In his presence is fullness of joy. Amen. Acts chapter 20 verse 32, the apostle Paul said, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It's able to build you up. Getting in the word of God and, 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 and also adding to that praying in the spirit is like working out with barbells. It will build you up. I may be little on the outside, but I look like Dennis Tenorino on the inside. I'm built on the inside. Who am I built? Look just like this. Chiseled out of stone. On the inside. Not much to look like look at on the outside, but on the inside. Samson would dream to look like me on the inside. Amen. What are you laughing at, Tony? Amen. The word is able to build you up. You don't have to let discouragement settle into your life. The more that you spend time in the word, the stronger you become. The stronger your faith becomes. So let this become a revelation to you. God is encouraging you to go ahead and dream of living a better life. There's nothing wrong with dreaming of living a better life. That's one of the things Jesus came for, is to give you the capacity, to give you the right to dream of a better life. And if that's what he wants for you, then don't let anybody talk you out of it. Amen. Not relatives, not religious people, and certainly not sinners. Amen. I want to look at something else in Ephesians 2.10. I've just read it, but I want to look at it again. The Amplified. Taking paths, which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life, which he made ready for us to live. After reading that one verse, how could anybody have the idea that God wants us to barely get by? Don't accept that lie. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 and 13 that before Christ came into our lives, we had no hope and no promise. No hope and no promise. To have no hope means to have no dreams of a better life. You'd, you'd be surprised at the number of Christians who live in hopelessness. You know, I've noticed over the years that, and I, I'm, I turned 74 in, in December, this past December, people my age that start retiring or have already retired, not only do they retire from labor, 
they retire from dreaming. Amen. And when you stop dreaming, you start dying. Amen. You just think about it. I mean, you know, people that you know that are getting older and, and they start retiring. Nothing wrong with retiring, but, but don't stop dreaming because you retire. Don't stop dreaming. You know, my Bible says that in old age, the righteous shall still flourish. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep flourishing as long as I'm on this planet. I'm going to keep doing what I know God wants me to do. Hallelujah. And if it gets to the place where I can't ride a motorcycle that only has two wheels, I'm going to ride them with three wheels. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not going to stop dreaming. I'm, I'm not going to stop believing for better. Amen. You know, God just recently, last year during that pandemic, blessed Jerry Savelle Ministries International with an international jet. Paid for, praise God. Why would God, why would God give me an international jet to sit in a hangar and go pet it every once in a while? Why would God give me something like that? And I think it's very interesting. He did it during a pandemic. <laughs> Amen. I had my finest year last year. And this year has even started off even better. Hallelujah. Amen. But I had that dream of that plane 20 years before it manifested. Now, 20 years before that would have made me 53 years old when I started dreaming of an international jet. Because I, I launched my international ministry in 1978. And I've been traveling all over the world since then. But I started dreaming of an international jet. Because the ones that I've owned up to now, it would only take me nationally. You know, uh, is the, the best jet I had previously would only give me a, a 1900 nautical mile range. That, that's not going to get me to all the places I need to go overseas. But this one will, hallelujah. And even though everything has been shut down, the nations have been shut down. Carla can't get back to Kenya right now because a third wave of this has hit and it's even worse. And by the way, pray for Carla's associate pastor because he's just been notified or just been told he's, he's got the coronavirus. And we're believing for him to totally recover. Amen. He's a precious man, a vital man, an important man to the ministry. And, and he's, he's off limits to the devil. And he's not going to take his life in Jesus' name. Amen. But, but why would God give me that? It's not just so I can say, oh, I have an international jet. It's a tool. It's to be used. So somewhere down the road here soon, we're going to be able to go internationally again. And praise God. I am going in style. You going with me? I can take you to Tanzania. Yes, sir. Drop you off and you on your own then. (laughs) 
Oh, you want me to come back and get you? Okay. <laughs> he loves preaching. They love Vic in Tanzania, man. Yes, sir. Got to get him back over there. Hallelujah. Amen. So verse 12 and 13 from Ephesians 2 says that before Christ came into our life, we had no hope. We had no covenant. We had no promise. But it doesn't end there. But now in Christ. But now in Christ. Everybody say, but now. What does that mean? Everything has changed. Hallelujah. Nothing is to remain the same. But now, hallelujah. But now I have hope. But now I have a promise. But now I can dream again. But now I can dream lofty dreams. I can dream as big as I want to dream. Hallelujah. Don't put any limits on God. Don't put any limits on yourself. Aren't you yet convinced that he loves you just as much as he loves me? I don't have a corner on this. I'm his favorite, but you come a close second. Okay. No, it's just the way he makes me feel, but you are equal with me. Amen. Everything has changed since Christ came in. You're free to dream big dreams. You're free to pursue a better life. Look at your neighbor and say, so go for it. <laughs> Amen. Now let me wrap this up and, and make a few statements to you. God wants you to dream big dreams. It's what Jesus came. One of the reasons why he came is so that you could have hope again. So that you could dream big dreams again. So what kind of dreams do you have today? Or has Satan stolen them from you because of a pandemic? I can't find, I've looked. I can't find anywhere in the Bible. Thou shalt stop dreaming in a pandemic. I can't find it. It's not in there. You can keep dreaming. Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, here's the key. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or you could say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll make your dreams come true. After all, isn't that what a dream really is? The dictionary defines a dream as an achievement that is longed for, an aspiration or a cherished desire. And the Bible says, if you will delight yourself in him. In other words, make him first place in your life. Make him the greatest joy of your life. Make quality time with him is the most exciting thing that you do above everything else. Amen. And then he says, he will cause your dreams to come to pass. The Passion Translation says, find your delight and true pleasure in the Lord. And he will give you what you desire the most. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody lift your hand and say, my, what a, what a gracious God we serve. Amen. Hallelujah. The Passion Translation goes on to say in verse three, fix your heart on the promises of God, feasting on his faithfulness. And then verse five says, give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust in him, you'll find he'll pull it off perfectly. Amen. He'll pull it off. Praise God. Now, once again, if you have have been going through some tough times during these last 12 months, 
and Satan has caused you to let go of your dream, then it's time to get it back. Make the decision, Palm Sunday, I'm going to get my dream back. I'm going to get my dream back and no devil is going to keep it from me again. James 4, 7 from the Passion Translation says, stand up to the devil and resist him. The word resist means oppose, withstand, or to stand firm against. But it also means to settle something once and for all. I love that. Stand up to the devil and settle something once and for all. You're not stealing my dream. You're not stealing my dream. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. So, in closing today, I want to encourage you. Don't ever stop dreaming. Don't think your dreams don't matter to God. They do. He's the one who's given you the ability. He's the one who's given you the capacity to dream bigger than you've ever dreamed. In the the Old Testament, it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But in the New Testament, we have the mind of Christ. That means we have no limitations. We can think as big as we desire to think. We can dream as big as we desire to dream. Can you say amen? amen? Come on, let's stand to our feet and lift our hands and thank God for his goodness this morning. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands for a moment and say this with me. Heavenly Father. I am so grateful that you sent Jesus into the earth with an assignment and it all involved my future. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to go to the cross, shed your blood, die the death of the cross, enter into Satan's domain, pay the price. For my transgression and yet be raised from the dead that I might be justified, that I might live a life far better than I've ever dreamed of. And from this day forward, I will not allow Satan or anybody else to steal my dream of a better life. Heavenly Father, I put you first place in my life. My greatest delight is fellowshipping with you. And I'm, I'm laying hold upon this promise that you will give me the desires of my heart. You will fulfill every dream I'm capable of dreaming. In the name of Jesus, and I thank you for it. And now it's time to give you your best shout. Hallelujah. Amen.